0: I'm Pastor Gary Seifers, and I'd like to introduce myself a little bit. You don't usually see me up here on a Sunday morning except to introduce our mission partners, so I'd like just to kind of bring you up to speed as we get things set up here. It was over 50 years ago that a couple students from Oak Hills Bible College in Bemidji uh, were in my small town in Iowa. so when I first heard what it meant to trust Christ as my own personal Savior, I did that as a teen, followed them to that school in Bemidji, a beautiful campus outside of Bemidji, and I met my wife there. My wife Cheryl and I have been married uh, this past May for 49 years. And, uh, I, when people ask, when I mention that, I always say she's a very, very patient woman. Uh, It's the only way that's happened. God led us on into ministry, 20 years in Christian school administration, mostly in the country of Portugal and the city of Tucson. Then the last 20 years, we got involved in large church children's ministry and did that in Frisco, Texas, for eight years. And then 12 years ago, we came here to Bethel to lead the children and family ministries. Did that up until Pastor Andy came uh, about six years ago, and he asked me to also oversee all our operations. I'm privileged to work with very skilled managers over our finances, facilities, our personnel, to also oversee the, the missions focus of Bethel, and then to uh, lead the directors and ministry directors on our staff. I'd like today, as we think about uh, opening God's Word, uh, to give you a little overview of where we're going to be, and then we'll pray together. We're going to be looking at Proverbs 22, 10, and 11. Going to draw some profiles from the Proverbs. Then we're going to zero in on conflict. Our verse today is about the person who is quarrelsome, and creates conflict. So we're going to talk about the reality of conflict, how not to respond to conflict, and I'd like to suggest a biblical pattern for responding to conflict. Let's pray and ask God to meet us here and teach us today. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, the new life that you offer through Christ. We are so undeserving, and yet you're so gracious you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to know you, and that knowing you would result in our lives being changed for both this life and then for all eternity. Teach us today. Conflict's such a, a big part of our lives, Lord. It's, it's all around us, we deal with it on a daily basis. Help us to understand how wisdom can guide us in that process to be able to resolve conflict in a healthy way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm used to working with kids, so let's do some would-you-rathers. Would-you-rathers, okay? And usually kids say, well, the main one is, would you rather die cold or die hot? Well, we're we're not going to do that one. But would-you-rather? And I got some pictures to help us out. Our first one has to do, here's a setting, Oreos. Oreos, okay? Would you rather eat the whole package at once while they are fresh, or would you rather save some for later? All right, we're gonna have a show of hands. Who wants to eat them while they're fresh? Okay, guys, I see you out there. All right, who wants to save some for later? Yeah. Well, Proverbs twenty-one twenty tells us, there's precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a, white, but a foolish man swallows it all up. Okay. <laughs> so, now I grew up in a family of eight kids. If you didn't get your share at the table, it was too late. Uh, you had to be quick but I learned this over time from my dear wife. Next one, the do-it-yourself project. Could be lots of different things. You know, that swing set, you gotta figure out how to put together that toy that uh, came without instructions, that Ikea furniture. Would you rather watch YouTube videos, read the instructions, those things that come with the package, or consult with an expert Or are you the type of person that just wants to wing it and wonder about all the extra parts left over when you're done? (laughs) Well, Proverbs 12, 15 speaks to this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. All right, let's do one more. Your favorite sports team loses again. Are you ready to stick a fork in the season and let it go? Well, when that happens, would you rather hold your temper and tongue in times of distress or give everyone a piece of your mind, most of which you probably could not really afford to lose? All right. Hold it. Hold your temper. Uh, give it away. <laughs> All right. Proverbs 29 11 tells us, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Okay. In 1 Kings 3, we read about a ruler named Solomon who was just beginning his reign. And God came to Solomon in a dream, and he spoke to him, and he said he could choose whatever he wanted. What would it be? If I was asking kids this, they'd ask for uh, endless wishes or something to prolong the opportunity. But Solomon said that what he wanted from God was wisdom, seeing the world as God sees it. This is the biblical worldview or philosophy of life based on wisdom that the Proverbs talks about. A philosophy or a worldview is not complicated. It answers three questions. What is ultimate reality? Can we know this reality and what's true? And if we can, what does it mean to me? So what? Polls say this about we as Americans. Only two-thirds of Americans believe that there really is a God an all-powerful personal being. To go further, only one-third of Americans in polls declare that this God and His truth, His absolute truth, that doesn't change, can be known. If you take it a step further, only 5 to 7% of Americans truly believe that this absolute truth that we find in the Scriptures should help us decide what's right and what's wrong in our world today. The book of Proverbs is a collection of wisdom about life and how we should respond to God's truth. Wisdom is believing there is a God, that we can know Him and His truth, and that His truth has authority over us. In James 1.5, God tells us to ask, to pray for this wisdom. Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom. I'd like to help you look at four profiles, and you'll see this on your outline in the bulletin Uh, if you want to follow along and take notes, four profiles of people from the Proverbs. We're going to look at how they respond to the reality of a God and His truth and how it impacts their life choices. These four characters you've heard of before, they're the wise, the foolish, the simple, and the scoffer or mocker. The wise are those who acknowledge or revere God, submitting to His truth and letting it govern their lives. Proverbs one a is the theme for the book of Proverbs. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, wiz, of wisdom. It's, it's the starting place for understanding how God looks at life. These wise people can grow in understanding, knowledge, discernment. Wisdom brings blessing, protection from evil. It's God-given. It's not by human effort. In Proverbs chapters 10 to 31, there are over 75 references to the wise or to wisdom. The second group of folks that we'll look at are the fools, those that respond foolishly. They say there is no God, there is no absolute truth, and right or wrong is purely up to them or to the situation. Fools hate true knowledge and despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 53.1 tells us, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And as we sit here this morning, you're thinking, well, who, who thinks that? Who believes that? Most people. Most people, as I work with kids, they're in the minority if they believe in a true personal, eternal God, and that we can know Him and His truth. And it has something to do with our lives. Proverbs also mentions two other people. Fifteen times it mentions a simple or naive, those who are undecided, easily influenced, that love simplicity. They don't take life seriously. They have no commitment to truth yet. They're immature in their thinking. They can become either a fool or become wise. Fifteen times the Bible or Proverbs actually also talks about the scoffer or mocker. These are folks who exhibit many of the characteristics of the fool. They deliberately cause trouble. They oppose the truth and are proud. Our passage today, Proverbs 22.10, talks about that particular person. It says, drive that person out and conflict will cease. They're focused on creating problems. The scoffer or mocker encourages and causes conflict. And when they leave or silence, the conflict will end. Let's talk about the reality of conflict. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have conflict? Wouldn't it be nice if everything was harmonious and we all got along? It'd be nice, but it's not real. The reality is we live with conflict every day. Satan's prideful rebellion started it all and brought it into creation. In Genesis 3, we have the story of Adam and Eve and a serpent who said, Did God really say that? causing conflict and doubt. The blame game started at that point. Eve said, uh, Adam said, well, it was the wife you gave me, and Eve said, well, it was the snake that you sent. It was always somebody else's fault. Ephesians six ten to 12 tells us that Satan is still active, and he wants nothing more than to use mankind for his continued destructive purposes. In our world today, Currently, there are 27 significant national or international conflicts going on. This impacts almost one-fourth of the world's population. Eighty-four million people today are currently displaced from their homes. James 4 tells us, it asks the question, where does this conflict come from? And it comes from our hearts. On a smaller scale, our personal interests lead to conflict. We live in an angry me first world. Don't believe me? Go for a drive. Go for a drive. Yeah, an angry me first world. All it takes for conflict is two. Today, we're going to focus in our thinking further about interpersonal conflict, and we're going to look first about how not to respond to conflict, and then I'd like to propose a biblical pattern for us. To help me with this, I thought I'd have some kids come and draw some things out of a hat, so if you're one of my five volunteers that I've asked to come up on stage here, please join me. Let's give them a hand. You guys can line up right across here. They're brave. Okay. Well, I thought it'd be fun to have kids involved here as we think about how not to respond to conflict. Uh, Let's see what they can find. If you could just pick one of those out of the hat and then I'll read it. I'll go ahead and look at that, and I don't expect you to read my writing, handwriting. Okay. One way not to respond to conflict is through anger or attacking. You know, when conflict comes, we can either attack or we can escape, go the other direction. We're going to talk more about anger in just a moment. Let's see another way to not respond to conflict. Oh, my distorting, hyperbole. Uh, guys, when's the last time you said to your wife, you never or you always? Don't use, we can't use those words, right? We exaggerate. In fact, sometimes we think the end justifies the means and we actually twist the truth and are deceitful. All right, let's keep going down the line here. Draw one out of there for us. Triangulation. Oh, here's an easy one to remember. Go to the throne, not the phone. When something happens, go to the throne, not the phone. Involving people who have nothing to do with it to try to build your case isn't a healthy way to respond to conflict. Let's keep on going here. Okay, this is the other side of attacking. The opposite is avoiding, denial, trying to escape. It's just too difficult, we can't manage it, we're just gonna pull out. I had an employee one time who instead of wanting to resolve some conflict, was willing to give up their job. It was just too painful to even think about trying to work through it. And let's come down here, choose our last one. Oh, all those big words, win, lose. Is that how you approach conflict? Somebody's got to win. Somebody's going to lose. Who's the aggressor? Who's the victim? Yeah, if you approach conflict that way, it's not going to turn out well. Thank you, kids, for helping us out. Let's give them a hand. Thanks. An easy way to remember, we don't want to respond with the W's usually, the W's. Conflict can't be solved by walking, whining, winking, waiting, whacking, wishing, working, weaseling, or winning. Wisdom is the only W that works. Why do we react so badly when conflict happens? We have insecurities. We're not always confident in ourselves. We have previous hurts. Sometimes we're triggered when something happens. It reminds us of a previous incident. Sometimes that incident actually was a trauma that left a mark on us in our memory. Sometimes it's just learned behavior. When something happens, we just know You know, when I was a child growing up, we grew up across from a schoolyard, and that was our backyard, the schoolyard. We knew when mom called that we probably should go, but it was really hard to break up the ball game. Uh, You know, if one family left, then there goes half the team. Um, When she called and she used our middle names, we knew it was probably time to go regardless of the score or the inning. <laughs> We've learned behaviors. We have conflict because of our sinful natures. We want what we want. When you add to that the fact that some of the most common personality disorders are those that are, have obsessive compulsive tendencies or uh, those that uh, allow their emotions to take control of them. All those things can impact how we respond to conflict. In 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 20, the Bible says that the wisdom of this world and the reality that is out there that's based on a system other than a personal God as creator, that wisdom is foolishness to God. There's an alternative reality going on. I don't know if you've heard the phrase that a lie oft told is soon believed. We have to reprogram our minds, as Romans 12 says, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to think as God thinks. I brought a ladder with me. Uh, This is a talking ladder, okay? When I put my foot on the first rung, I hear, Gary, when I put my foot on the second rung, I hear, Gary Seifers. If I make it to the third rung, it's, Gary Jean Seifers, what are you doing on that ladder again? It's from my wife. I have fallen off this ladder, literally, and figuratively, this ladder is an illustration of what is known as the anger ladder. The anger ladder shows how we go from being calm and having harmony to getting annoyed and being tense to getting upset and frustrated to being mad to finally, once you get to the top, you're in a risky position and rage comes out. Now, most Christians have learned not to express their anger in that way. Instead, we do the Christian alternative. We internalize it and react in passive-aggressive ways after that, don't we? James says, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Usually our anger doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. As we go up this ladder, there's more risk. There's a small part of our brain called the amygdala. And a little part of our brain, this part of our brain, actually controls our emotions. My daughter is a teacher, and she shared with me a a hand motion that they use with kids. The amygdala is the thumb, and when it tends to take over, it's best to wrap it up with the rest of the parts of the brain that are a little more logical and reasonable instead of letting it control. It's more difficult to help someone get over their passive-aggressive responses to conflict than it is to help someone who has a problem with rage. I'd like to share an example of some unrealistic thinking. This is a picture of one of our cars. It's, it's, a, it's not cool like Andy's Jeep. Um, not tough looking. It's a 20 year old car, but there's a bubble around that car. When I'm in a hurry, everyone needs to get out of my way. It's just, it's my reality. When I'm out for a Sunday drive, no one should be tailgating me either. You know, I have this fantasy in my mind that the road is mine. A helpful book that helped me with my anger is this one, Telling Yourself the Truth. I recommend it to you. What is the reality? The reality is there's always going to be other vehicles out on the road. The reality is I need to play nice. In Texas, they have signs everywhere, drive friendly, drive friendly. Good reminder for me. You say, we've talked about how not to resolve conflict. How can we resolve conflict in a healthy way? The first thing that we need to do as we think about resolving conflict in a healthy way is to understand our relationship with Christ. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul said to Timothy that from childhood he had known the sacred writings which were able to give him wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. True wisdom acknowledges that there is a God And He wants to be involved in our lives. And He wants to change how we look at life. We got a call the other day from one of our grandsons and lives down in in Texas. It's not uncommon that they would call us and tell us what they've been up to or something they experienced. But this time was a little different. It was real special. Our six-year-old grandson called to tell us that he had trusted Jesus as his personal Savior and wanted us to know that. He he knew that we were praying for many years that 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 would happen, that he would make that decision. And then he said an interesting thing. He said, now the Holy Spirit is going to live with me and help me be like Jesus. Out of the mouths of babes. You can't live the Christian life on your own. It's a matter of yielding to the Holy Spirit of God, giving Him control, letting Him fill us and produce the fruit in us that only He can provide. Love, putting someone else's interests ahead of our own. Joy, having a security that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay, Peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. It's different than what the world gives. Patience, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Good start to resolving conflict in a healthy way is where we stand in our relationship with God. God expects us to be peacemakers. It's only possible, though, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A book that gives us, has given me some helpful guidance that I just recommend to you is called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And there's a ministry all about helping Christians and Christian organizations resolve conflict. I'd like to go through six steps as we wrap things up here today. And a special thanks to my friend Gunnar Schmidlin. We're doing some motions to illustrate these for us. Six steps. The first step is that we need to stop and pray. Maybe it's a quick, Lord, please, because we're going to react so quickly. Or maybe we have time to think it through. But we need to pray. Examine your own heart. Have a submissive attitude. Remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Proverbs 19.11 tells us, To overlook an offense is an honor to a man. Remember the fruit of the Holy Spirit's control. So stop and pray when you encounter conflict. Practice active listening. My mom always would say, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you talk. Proverbs 18.13 tells us that he who gives an answer before he hears, it's folly and shame to him. Active listening. Communication could be tricky. An author by the name of Eli said to summarize, communication is what the source intends to say, what they actually say, and then what they think they said, while the hearer wants to hear something, actually hears something, and then thinks that they heard something. So it can get muddy real quickly. A helpful book that I recommend often to parents is this, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. Pray, active listening, and then talk about it. Acknowledge your feelings. Discuss the problem. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. The fourth step is to respond. To respond. Suggest some alternatives. Proverbs 16.32 tells us, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Pray, listen, acknowledge, and respond. Then the next one is to apologize if necessary. Humility is key. This only comes through the help of the Holy Spirit. David, in Psalm 51, talked about how God was going to minister to him in a very personal way. He said, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Psalm 167 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Our prayer should be, change me, O Lord, to be like Christ, who in Philippians 2 was willing to give up all uh, of his, uh, many of his attributes or his uh, uh, privileges so that he could humble himself and die for us. The last one, get help. If you can't reach, quite reach a solution, get help. Godly, wise help, if necessary. Sometimes another person can give us a better perspective and help us achieve the resolution we're reaching for. What is it, or what about conflict that I just can't seem to resolve? Repeat those steps above. Sometimes, conflict's out of our control. We truly can't do anything about it. And in those cases, we wait upon God and ask for Him to help resolve it. In conclusion, someone has said, holding a grudge is like drinking poison myself and expecting it to hurt the other person. Unresolved conflict in your life are one thing Ask that question. What conflict do you still need to resolve? Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the ultimate solution to the conflicts we face a dependence upon you and relationship with you. Thank you that you're willing to get involved in the nitty gritty of our lives and Help us work through the challenging situations we face. Help us to understand how to pose those situations wisely and let your spirit work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.